Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. I've had lots of experiences with fellow believers. Uh, when I first moved to the coast, I used to go to this Hillsong conference every year. Uh, whatever you believe about Hillsong conference, I was a kid from a small country town of 5,000 people. I'd only ever been to church services, you know, very simple, wooden pews, 20 people in the room. And when I first moved to the coast, someone invited me to Hillsong Conference. I'm from a town of 5,000 people, and I walk into this room, uh, Kudos Bank Arena, with over 20,000 believers all worshipping Jesus, four times the size of my hometown. You have to understand for a, 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 a person like me, like my eyes were just opened, it was like, whoa, there's actually other people who believe in this God I believe in. And it was loud. It was always loud. I remember when you were like standing outside the Kudos Bank Arena doors and they were doing their sound check because they hadn't opened the doors yet. You could hear like the boom of the drum like as they're doing their sound check. Boom, boom. And it's like, oh, something cool's about to happen. And the preaching would be loud. They were yelly preachers. Every now and then I like my good fix of a yelly preacher and they were yelly preachers. And the music was loud. Everyone's singing at the top of their lungs like it's, you know, Pentecostal. So everyone's got their hands raised full engaged everything but one of my favorite parts of Hillsong Conference was sort of uh, if I was sitting up in these top section like in any of these top sections could sort of look down and in this section about here every year because I went probably five years running every year there was an Auslan section amongst all the loud noise amongst all the music and the hard preaching, amongst it all, there was an Auslan section, as in a section of the room dedicated to people who were deaf. And at the front of that little section would be someone doing Auslan, signing everything that was going on. And I used to look down there every year and I thought that was so beautiful. Like, what amazing faith. There's every chance that the preacher on stage could be preaching about Jesus hearing the deaf and mute man. And it's getting signed to them in sign language. Praising God at the top of their fingertips. Like I praise him at the top of my lungs. And I thought about it and I think, you know, they don't say many words in that section. They sign them. And God hears them all the same. And it reminds me of this, this little thing that Jesus says when he's talking about words and prayer. And it's uh, one of my favorites. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to teach us the Lord's Prayer, to teach us how to pray. Uh, and I think this is a beautiful passage. And uh, I read many commentaries this week to try and, to try and 
put this sermon together. Commentaries are like books that preachers read um, that sort of explain the scriptures to us. So we'll read, a, we'll read a commentary which will unpack the scriptures. So that's what a commentary is. And I read a lot of them. And there's a lot of guys who write commentaries like famous theologians, theologians being people who like study this stuff for a living. And they write these commentaries. And uh, so many... Bible teachers think that this could be a slight reference to an ancient Jewish story in the Old Testament. Some of the commentaries I read were Matthew Henry's, Albert Barnes, Charles Bailey, John Gill, William Barclay. These are theologians from a diverse, uh, from diverse perspectives. All of these theologians have different perspectives on many aspects of faith, these Bible teachers, uh, but they all seem to agree that this could be a slight reference to an ancient Jewish story in the Old Testament. So, for the next little season, we're doing holy histories. I'm glad that got a slight laugh. Old Testament Bible stories. And tonight, I'm going to be telling a story from 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, And basically, I'm going to tell the story first and then share a few reflections. Um, That is what we will do today. But first, I need to set the scene. There is a king. There is a bad, bad king. And his name was Ahab. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord. This this bad king did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel who were before him. So there's this king, this bad, bad king. There's a lot of jargon in there, but this is what you basically need to know. It's like this king who essentially at one point understood the the idea of the Jewish Jewish God, decided he was also going to take a wife and follow her religion and, and get sort of all these different little bits of religion and his... All of a sudden, he's erecting idols and making temples to other gods, specifically this god called Baal. And it's like, this guy is evil, and he's turning the, he's, you know, the Jews are sort of turning away from God, and it's looking bad. This king is a bad, bad, bad king. And there's this other guy called Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet. And I like to think of prophets as people who sort of speak for God in a generation. I think that's, in some sense, it's an overgeneralization. But think of a prophet as someone who speaks on behalf of God, someone who God speaks to, gives a word to Elijah for the people. And Elijah, obviously, is pretty angry at the situation and what Ahab has created. Ahab is so evil Uh, He's even trying to kill all the prophets of God, to kill all the people who speak for God. And so Elijah, at some point, is instructed by God to go and speak to Ahab, you know, sort of confront him, confront this guy. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, "'Is it you, you troubler of Israel?' And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals, other gods. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So this guy called Elijah is confronting this evil king, this evil king who wants to kill him. And he confronts this evil king and he's like, you know what? I haven't troubled Israel. You have. Let's have a competition on Mount Carmel. And so the stage is set for a massive competition. And so he says, and you know what? Bring the 450 prophets of Baal. Bring the 400 prophets of Asherah. Let's, let's see who the real God is. And so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. This passage just... This is making me think of Caramel Sundays. I don't know how I'm going to get through this sermon. <laughs> I'm going to need to get a Caramel Sunday on the way home. Anyway, okay, so and he, they gathered at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it is Baal, then follow him. So these people of Israel were confused, right? Their king has set up um, idols to Baal, but then they, they have this instinctive nature to believe in the God of their ancestors. So they're almost like trying to be like, there's a bit two-faced. It's like they're trying to follow the God of Israel, our God, but they're also torn because their king has set up, set up temples and erected statues to a false, to a false God, this, this Baal. And it's like they're torn who do we follow? What are we going to do? Do we listen to the king? Do we listen to the pro- What do we do? In fact, people who listen to the real God and listen to the prophets, they're all getting killed. So what do we do? They're torn. They're torn. And he says, don't go limping between two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, I'm left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. He's like, you know what? I'm the last one left standing trying to tell the truth. They've got 450. So let's get two bulls and we'll each choose a bull for ourselves. I'll take a bull and the 400 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal will take a bull. And let... Uh, and let us cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You know what? Let me, let me paraphrase this in this little section. Elijah gets this idea from God. This is what they're going to do. They're going to set up a competition. He is going to set up an altar and they are going to set up an altar. And they're going to get two bulls. And they're going to, the, the prophets of Baal, they're going to cut up their bull and they're going to put it on the altar. And eventually Elijah's going to get a bull and he's going to cut it up and he's going to put it on his altar. And then they're going to have a competition. And he's going to say, you're not allowed to light the altar on fire. Not allowed to light it on fire. Instead, we'll pray to our God. You pray to your gods, I'll pray to my God. And whichever altar catches fire, well, that is who the real God is. So whoever sends fire from heaven. Johnny gave me a good tidbit of information this week that the, like Baal is like the god of like thunder and lightning or something, Johnny. Did I say that correctly? And so it's like their god, if he knows how to light something on fire, it's like the god that they think they believe in, the god of thunder and lightning. Well, he should be able to send a lightning strike and light the altar on fire. And, and the god of Israel, well, let's see what he can do if we pray to him. So let me, let me read that for you. 
Let the two bulls be given to us and let us choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, that's God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. It's a good compliment to a preacher. (laughs) And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many. <laughs> I love that. It's like, you go first because you've got to... I don't know if you've ever seen a cow be slaughtered. Mm, should I tell this story? There might be vegetarians in the room. Well, I have. I'm from the country. And when you're watching a bull get slaughtered, is hard work. It's for, it's for tough people. <laughs> so he's like, there's a lot of you. So get to it. You go first. For you're many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud. Well, I like to actually think of a light. You know, I like to think of Elijah like pulling out a camping chair. You know, like pulling out a camping chair, cracking a cold one. That was disrespectful, potentially. Cracking open a bottle of red. It's more respectful in Christian circles, I believe. <laughs> he sits back on his deck chair and he says, This is really good. This is really good. He mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Or maybe he's on a holiday or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So cry louder. I love that. It almost feels like that shouldn't be in the book of Kings. It feels too modern day. It feels like the way we mock each other. You know what I mean? It feels like like Aussies poking fun. Sitting back on his deck chair, cry aloud. Maybe he's on holiday. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's relieving himself, sitting on the throne. Maybe he's on a journey or asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, even to the point where they cut themselves with their custom with swords and lances. So much belief in their God that they believe one of the ways that they can make him pay attention to them is by cutting themselves with swords and lances as was their custom until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So they get their go. And they're doing it for so long, over and over again, morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. That's a long time to say that sentence. Oh, Baal, answer us. Crying out to their God. When that doesn't work, they start dancing around. They start dancing. I 
I wish I could dance. They start dancing around the altar, trying to get this God's attention, doing whatever they can. When that doesn't work, they start self-harming, as was their custom, to try, like self-mutilation, to try and get their God's attention. And nothing, no fire, nothing comes down. It doesn't come alight. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with this, this is a common thing they used to do, building an altar out of stones representing the tribes of Israel. So a lot of history packed into that one sentence. But he builds an altar. He restores an altar that had been thrown down, in fact. And... uh, He thought, that's not good enough. So he made a trench around the altar, uh, as great as it would contain two sheaves of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. Uh, They had 450 men cutting up the cow and doing the slaughtering. He was the sole prophet. So as I said before, like butchering a cow is tough work. And so he's doing all this alone. He's saying, come watch me, and he's putting in the tough work. He's cutting up the cow. He's stacking the wood. They had 450 people to do that. It was going to take him a little extra time. He was doing the hard yards, cutting up the bull, putting it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. The prophets of Baal, they're doing everything to get their God's attention. They're trying to make it easy for their God to answer them. Elijah's doing anything to make it harder. It's not only like creating an altar, but he's covering it in water making it harder for it to come alight. They're doing everything to make it easy. He's doing everything to make it difficult. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Never really, we don't hear in this story that God instructed Elijah to do this. But here Elijah says, I've done all these things at your word. Sort of makes us question the relationship between the prophet and God and should make us question our own. What does it mean that Elijah said, I did all these things at your word? Because we're never told that God told, told Elijah to do this. But somehow Elijah doing this act of standing up for his belief in God is in fact doing what God has commanded him to do on this earth. Or perhaps God did literally whisper it in his ear with an audible voice. Does that make sense? I'm trying to make a distinction there that, that Elijah saying, I'm doing all this according to your word. I'm doing this according to your word. So either God has told him, I want you to go and set up a competition, or him standing for what he believes is right is following God's word. Both of those could be true. Uh, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have 
turned their hearts back or want, or want them to be with you. And then in the moment, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw it and they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, it's my favorite part of the story, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Took a real dark turn, didn't it, Henry? Did you see it going there, Henry? (laughs) Took a real dark turn at the end. What is this story about? Well, in essence, we could uh, simplify this story. And I think when I read this story in my children's Bible, this is the point of the story. Our God is real. Our God is real. In simplicity, I think this is what I learned as a child when I learned this story in Sunday school. They're praying to their God, not real. The fire doesn't come. Elijah prays to the the God we believe in and the fire comes instantly. They have to pray with all these fancy words, with all this dancing, with all this self-mutilation. Elijah, a simple, short, precise prayer in line with God's will and the fire comes. Every Christian should practice prayer. I like to think that our prayer room on a Sunday morning at 9.20, if you arrive early and go into the prayer room, we have a prayer, a prayer meeting. Uh, and sometimes we like to have a prayer meeting here 10 minutes before this service. And, uh, you know, every ministry likes to say they're the um, engine room of the church. It's a common thing that people say. Children's ministry, the engine room of the church. Youth ministry, the engine room of the church, which is actually the truest one. Or the prayer room, the engine room of the church. Perhaps there's some truth to that. I can't give you a Bible reference for that quote, that the prayer room is the engine room for the church, but I believe it is somewhat true. Prayer is important. But I think prayer should be about quality, not quantity. And it should be about truth, not length. The prophets of Baal, and now they're they're not praying to a true God by any means, and they got lots of quantity. They're praying over and over and over again. They're dancing over and over and over again. They're doing this self-mutilation. They got all the quantity from morning until noon. But what Elijah had was quality. A short, simple prayer in line with the will of God. And their prayers had no truth in them at all because because their God's not even true. Elijah, his prayer full of truth. Praying the will of God. Not praying for himself or that he would look like some amazing prophet. No, praying that people would realize who the real God is. I like to to find the motivation behind my prayer. Because often it's the shortest prayers that have the most prayer in them. I didn't write that quote. Charles Spurgeon did who is a very famous preacher. I really like Charles Spurgeon. I watched a documentary on him. Uh, They used to call him the 
They called him one of the prince of preachers. He would always preach extemporaneously, like from a young age. He just learned the scriptures as much as he could, and he would um, do as much study on a passage as he could, and then he would be a traveling preacher, and, and, and he would go into places and just and preach the word of God, and he transformed a lot of lives. And he said, often the shortest prayers have the most prayer in them. Often the shortest prayers have the most prayer in them. That is a story that says our God is real. And it says that uh, there's no point babbling on like the pagans do. In vain repetition. And I want to make a distinction here. If you are praying for something, keep praying. I'm not trying to instruct you to pray less uh, or to pray with less, uh, with less passion or if you pray once, it's done. No, if you're praying for something, wake up every morning and pray for that same thing. Repetition is fine. What is not fine is vain repetition, meaningless repetition, meaningless words, uh, words that try to make us feel, uh, feel good because we're using lots of them. We don't want to pray, uh, you can have quantity and quality, but I'll take quality over quantity every day. And so tonight I want to pray because we have lots of people in the room and I want to keep it short and I want to keep it simple and you're all going to pray with me. A prayer of raw authenticity, a prayer of truth. A prayer we can all pray no matter what language you speak. Because often the shortest prayers have the most prayer in them. And I believe that if we pray to our God to help us, he can help us live lives that turn people towards him. We don't need to babble on like the pagans do. We don't need to have divided attention. We don't need to dance and cut ourselves and just go on and on and on. No, I believe if we pray this genuinely, our God can help us like he helped Elijah. Like he helped Elijah. And like, uh, like in this story, Elijah being helped meant other people were touched and realized who the real God was. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's really simple. It goes like this. I'm going to do some Auslan. Bring it back. Really, really simple. It goes like this. I'm going to teach you every word individually, then we're going to pray it together as a congregation. I'm going to pray it together as a church. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, we go, we use, and then you point up at the sky. That is God. So already practice God with me. God, help, help is uh, we, we put our hand, sort of one hand in the palm of our other hand and we just push it forward, help, help. That's help, help. And then us is uh, we touch both shoulders and we point outwards. That is our prayer. On the count of three, we're going to pray it together and then my sermon is done and the worship team will come back up. Ready? One, two, three.